Everyone knows that you watch the animated DC stuff. I do not. You're wrong. Okay. <laughs> You're I'm wrong. Sure, I'm sure uh, both Kelsey and my brother would agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> Apoptosis is going mad, my liver's gonna fail. Maybe it's from the radium I use to paint my nails. Well, say you hate me, carbon date me, throw me in the sea. I'll be back with time because I'm made of stardust and chemistry. A stardust and chemistry. So. Marie-Anne, Antoine, and this other gay guy named Laplace, they did this experiment to try to uh, disprove that flossogens exist. They're like, flossogens make no sense. We're going to prove that it's in fact like, like the air, the gas is reacting with stuff. And that's what's happening here, right? Like there is some chemical or element that is reacting here. Not mysterious flossogen that doesn't have mass. Like... Like, that just never made any sense to them. So they're like, we're going to prove that it's something else. And so, basically, they decompose um, water into its hydrogen and oxygen components and then re-react it again and form water again. And then they do this in the presence of um, this iron barrel, like, from a from a gun, like the iron barrel. Okay. Um, and the iron barrel rusts, right, In because of the oxygen. makes. Does that make sense? Yes. And so... Through this and, like, detailed, like, work of, like, weighing everything and, like, taking detailed notes, they published this paper and, like, showed that oxygen was the thing that was reacting that made things rust. Oxygen is what made things, makes things combust. Like, there is a chemical element called oxygen that is doing this reaction, not this this flossogen I almost want to say, like, flapjacks. (laughs) (laughs) Flapjacks are causing this. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, it would make as much sense as the flossogens. <laughs> flapjacks, flossogens, same thing. <laughs> I'm sure you could set flapjacks on fire. <laughs> but yeah, and so Marie Ann, this whole time, she was making the detailed drawings of everything. And, you know, they published everything. And they're like, look, look, we did such a good job. And then basically everyone was like, or I shouldn't say everyone, but about half the people at least were like, you know, you did a great experiment. This was a great experiment. You did a good job. You did very detailed work. But your conclusion was wrong, and this experiment demonstrated the displacement of phlogiston from iron. So basically, they were like, you just demonstrated phlogiston again. And he's like, no, it's the oxygen. <laughs> You're like, you didn't get the point. Exactly. And so the all the people that like want to stick to the phlogiston theory was just like, no, clearly this was just a demonstration of phlogiston, even though they like did really, really good work. <laughs> They're like, we see the facts, but yeah, we see the facts, but you're still wrong. Um, just because they didn't want to, because this was very much like a a reinventing the wheel situation. Like literally, this was paradigm shifting. Like I know it doesn't like seem like it now because we're like, of course it's oxygen that's reacting. And doing yeah. these things like phlogiston doesn't exist and we know that now but like at the time like 
everyone thought flossogen existed, right? And so it, it's like Galileo with the Earth going around the sun. Like literally, everyone was like, "No, no, like the the Earth is the center of the universe," right? Which a lot of scientists didn't believe that at the time either. Galileo was just the one who opened his mouth, but <laughs> you know, Galileo was the one who was who who would say who said it, you know. And so the church punished him because he was the one who said it, even though there was a general understanding. But this one, there was a general understanding that flossogens exist. Antoine Lavoisier was like, no. And people were like, mm, we don't believe you. Was Flossison, like, supported by the church? Or, like, why was no. it, like, like the structure? Or is that just all that was there? Was it, like, a monopoly in its own sense? So, yeah, I mean, it was just the understanding at the time in alchemy. So, like, alchemy was the institution that was making these decisions, essentially, kind of. Okay. You know, and it's not, it's not an institution in the way it is, you know, that, like, they didn't have a... Like, we have an American chemical society, right? You know, they didn't exactly have a an, uh, a French alchemy society. I don't think. I'm going to say that, and I'm going to be wrong, and there's a French alchemy <laughs> society. But, um, you know, it was just a general consensus among alchemists that phlogiston is was the answer, right? And so there was plenty of people who just weren't convinced by this experiment because they could use phlogiston to say that's why the iron rusted. Right? They weren't willing to hmm. look at what they did and be like, oh. They just kind of accepted it, like what everyone else was saying. Exactly. You know, like, it's just one of those things, like, to me, it's like, you know, you've met people that are really set in their ways. And no matter how much proof you can show them of something, that's not going to change their mind. Right? Um, that's what I feel like this is. Hmm. So. I like how that idea can, like, still apply to today. Like, how people think... Mm-hmm. Like, or people just don't, like, change sometimes. Yeah. And that's exactly, uh, that's what I think this was. It was just they didn't, they didn't want to change. Yeah. And so after this, um, in 1787, there was a guy named Kirwan who um, wrote an essay about flossogen. <laughs> Again. <laughs> and then Marie Anne took it and translated it into French. And by this time, she was, like, 30 years old. So she's, like, a full-grown woman now. She's not, you know... Because she got married at, like, 13. But now she's, like, 30. And um, she so she published her own translation. Um, and by this point, like, she's, like, like hot shit in the, in the French world. In the sense, you know, like, people know who she is. She's considered, like, very smart, very capable, witty, that kind of stuff. Also really weird. I, I, I get the vibe that she, she had a reputation for being weird. <laughs> Um, from, from what I was reading. <laughs> and so she publishes this translation and she puts a preface on it before, so like before you even start reading the translation, she puts her own words in the front, um, talking about how phlogiston is just nonsense. Like, like before she even published, she's like, this is all garbage, <laughs> but this is what people keep writing about. So I'm going to keep talking about it and how you're wrong. Oxygen is why things rust. <laughs> um i love that she stick to that she's like you're wrong like in a world where everybody was like this is it this is what the answer is she's like no this is what the answer is and she stuck to that yeah um and like this is again something she did all by herself not with antoine lavoisier so like she is doing this on her own right and critiquing scientific work in her own right um so again stop calling her an assistant she had her power moves like i i hate that yeah i hate that she keeps like being labeled as an assistant now when like in 
um, that time. She was active. Like, a lot of mm-hmm. people, like, recognized her as this, like, smart individual. Like, yeah, she was a celebrity, like, basically. Maybe not a celebrity. A celebrity among scientists, probably, you know? Yeah, because I don't think people, the people of France, like, knew her necessarily. I don't know, unless they were, like, just really into science. <laughs> but I... <laughs> Yeah, and then in 1789, Marie-Anne um, contributed 13 illustrations to Antoine's chemistry textbook, um, which was an elementary treatise of chemistry. And this really solidified them as a publishing partnership. So they, you know, they both wrote this book. She did all the drawings. And in the book, it states one of the first laws of chemistry, which is nothing is lost, nothing is created, everything is transformed. Right? So that's the, the rule of conservation of mass, Right. Mass is neither created nor destroyed, um, only changes form, right? So this is like one of the first chemistry books that ever come out. So, and the Boissiers published it together. Together. Nice. <laughs> also, apparently they had a very great marriage. Like they really loved each other. I just feel like I should put this in here. Like they apparently were like super close and like very, very cute. And they never had any children. I don't know why. Um <coughs> But they were just like a power couple, science only, double income, no kids, <laughs> plus science. I was going to say, they seem like they have a like deep love story. Like just they're, they just seem so happy, like every time mm-hmm. talking about the two of them. And then they have this memory of like, we survived like a building, ca- like exploding. So a little love story. So I was thinking, I don't know. You think they think the building exploding is part of their love story? Like, like, that they both, <laughs> like that they both survived it and, like, they went through that together. I don't know. Maybe. Probably, you know, there's probably a fair amount of trauma bonding that happened there. That's fair. You That's know? fair. That's fair. When you go through things like that with your partner, you know. I mean, I don't know what I would do if my house burned down or exploded. I think it would probably bring me closer to my wife, especially because we would have to live in our cars. So, you know, you'd physically be closer all the time. <laughs> I feel like that would make you be further apart eventually though really? <laughs> well i mean the stress of it living in the car yeah maybe the stress of it maybe it either brings you closer together or it breaks you up yeah yeah because yeah. like it's one of those things yeah because like that's why like right after you have a your kid like a kid is like one of the prime times that people might break up like in that first two years oh that makes sense i didn't yeah. know that mm. mm-hmm. i'm glad i'm never having children i will okay, cool. but we both really want kids so <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I don't think it's gonna break us up but anywho <laughs> i don't know where we were going on that one to be honest. so now we're at 1789 do you know what starts to 1789 french history french history pop quiz is that the french revolution yes okay <laughs> it is the french revolution um and at first the Lavoisiers were like not in immediate danger right like they're going after the king you know the big the big names right so at first they're like you know not they're not a target uh in fact antoine had like a fairly um positive like view of the public like the public viewed him positively overall because of his work as a public administrator and a scientist, he he was an advocate for a lot of economic and social reforms. And yeah, so people were like, you know, Antoine Lavoisier, he's fine. You know, he had started a model farm to demonstrate the advantages of like the latest techniques of scientific agriculture. Like he made like a, fa- like a farm to like show people like, hey, 
I don't know what the what the what the technology was, but like he like demonstrated the technology for farmers so that they could have better crops, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and that nice. made him very popular. And like I said earlier, you know, he there was a famine in 1778, and so he advanced a bunch of money to several towns um, so that they could purchase barley to alleviate the suffering of the time. And then once the revolution began, he was called on to participate in various reform efforts so like at first they were like wanted to work with him to like reform parts of france and things like that create new systems of taxation that didn't rely on the general farm and served on committees overseeing um changes in like public education public hygiene changing of the currency um and casting of cannons because i think cannons were like new technology at the time if i remember right so or like newer But yeah, and so he was also a leading member of the commission appointed to create the uniform weight and measurement system. And that that's when we like got the metric system. Like Antoine Lavoisier was like part of the the change that made the metric system standard in France. Huh. So, yeah, which I was like, why did so he provided gunpowder for the Revolutionary War. He made the metric system. He made chemistry modern chemistry like he did a lot of really weird things that you wouldn't attribute to one person yeah i don't know yeah and so at first he was actually really like optimistic about the revolution um in in a fed in a letter that he wrote in 1790 antoine informed um some of his american friends and he was he was writing ben franklin actually he wrote ben frank his friend ben franklin um and he said that he uh, thought that the revolution was complete. Like, he thought, like, that, that these reforms were going to be enough and everything was going great. All good. Uh, in early August of 1789, there was a boat loaded with gunpowder um, that was seen leaving the arsenal, which, you know, that's where they live. And the people of Paris got really suspicious about that because they thought that he was, like, shipping away the gunpowder so that they couldn't have gunpowder to defend themselves and these newly obtained rights that they had. Hmm. Right? Because, like, they're like, we want this gunpowder. Yeah, like, why is it? Yeah. Okay. Like, why, why are you shipping this gunpowder away? And so there was a mob that formed and went to the arsenal demanding for the arrest of Antoine and his, co- and his colleagues. And so, and, or just one of his colleagues, there's two people there, him, Antoine and one other person. And so they bo- arrest both of them and take them to City Hall. But fortunately, Antoine was able to, like, explain what happened. So I guess that boat had low-grade gunpowder, like, low-quality gunpowder that was being shipped out. And that there was high, higher-grade gunpowder that was being shipped in and that would arrive soon. So, like, he was shipping in better gunpowder, I guess. Is that, like, a little swindle right there? <laughs> I don't know if it was a swindle. I don't know if it was just, like, people got mad over kind of nothing. Because, like, he is in charge of gunpowder. So, like, him shipping gunpowder doesn't seem weird. Like, I'm not sure yeah. why they got... They thought that him shipping gunpowder was suspicious. Because he's in charge of gunpowder. Yeah. I also feel like for everything he did, like, they kind of turned on him really fast. Or Yeah. Well, so... I don't know how much you know about the French Revolution, but my understanding is, like, it kind of got very um, mob mentality, like, very, very paranoid very quickly in France at that time. Um, And there was, like, a whole time that's called the Reign of Terror where they were beheading anybody that had to do with anything in the old government. It doesn't matter whether you were seen as a good person, a bad person. They would behead you for nothing, anything. You had a title, you were dead. I remember that. I remember that part. 
I also remember because going back to Hamilton, there's a part where that he's like, you want to talk to him? like, And then he like takes the head out or whatever. It's like you can speak to his head. Or... I was going to say my main reference for all information about the French Revolution is Les Mis, and I don't remember that part. So I am not familiar with the th- much of the French Revolution. Yeah, well, Le- Les Mis isn't really about the French Revolution. No, I know, but that's what I'm saying. Like, that's my yeah. only point of reference. Fair, fair. So that's a little I know. Like, the same way, like, most of what I, not now, but, like, when I was younger, most of what I knew about World War II was Pearl Harbor um, because all of my teachers were coaches, and they, you know, a lot of them did not teach. They just kind of, like, put a movie on for us. Oh, yeah, yeah I feel that coming from yeah. a small town. Like, right. every, like, the science teacher, everybody was, like, a coach and a teacher mm-hmm. at yeah. the same time. Yeah, mine was like ha- half of them were te- half of them were teachers and coaches, and the other half were real teachers. <laughs> um, but yeah, every history teacher was a coach, though every single one. Oh yeah, yeah, every single one, and it was really weird. And there was one dude, I don't know why, but every lecture, every few sentences, he say, "Isn't that interesting?" You know, blah blah <laughs> like blah. He's also blah, just blah. learning about it. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> blah 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 blah. Isn't that interesting? And I'm like, I. I'm gonna hear this in my sleep. <laughs> oh my gosh! You know, I never want to hear that word again. <laughs> <laughs> Makes me think of that one, like the bi- our biology teacher. His thing was all like, "Meadow what? Meadow what?" And we like, "Chondria." Like, <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's cute. Though. <laughs> they were like, they were so hyped for that mitochondria. <laughs> Maybe it's because it's science, and I liked it more. But I, I would right. be so into that. <laughs> well, wasn't that like the? Isn't that like a meme now? Where it's like, why do I know so much about mitochondria? And I've never once used that information in my life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mitochondria the is power the powerhouse. House. <laughs> <laughs> everyone knows that. Uh, that's the one biology fact everyone knows. But what does it that do? That I don't know. It's a powerhouse, though. <laughs> apparently. Never mind. I'm not going to make that joke. <laughs> but yeah. And so, you know, they had the gunpowder misunderstanding. And th- this is, like, where temper is just, like, started going really, really nuts. Because, like, there would be, like, a mob that would go show up at their house and, like, disperse on and off for like the next few days to the point where they had to like they had to move like they had to they had to leave by so by 1792 Antoine Lavoisier became like an like an object of suspicion like people were really looking at him again like people were becoming very paranoid yeah and so as a tax farmer um and you know someone who worked for the the farm the general farm like the general farm was 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 considered like a big instrument to the old regime, right? Like, they were getting rid of anything that had to do with the old regime. Antoine Lavoisier worked for the old regime, so he became a target. Yeah. And so even though, like, at first they were, like, tried to, you know, he tried to help do the the change, you know, he was trying to do these reforms and stuff. Literally everything he did became, like, uh, a, a, a thing of criticism. Like, people were, like, suspicious of everything he did. Like, uh-huh. uh... Yeah, and so in August of 1792, the Lavoisiers had to leave their apartment and laboratory in the arsenal because mob violence just made living there, like, too unsafe. Like, they literally couldn't live in their house anymore. Um, and by wow. November of that year, the revolutionary government um, ordered the arrest of any former uh, farmer generals. So anybody oh. who ever was a farmer general would be arrested. So Antoine was tried by a revolutionary tribunal at the height of the terror in May of 1794. And the perfunctory proceedings against him and 31 others only took a few hours to conclude. Like, so they tried like 32 people at the same time. 28 were found guilty and sentenced to death. 
and they were executed the same day in the afternoon. And that was May 8th, 1794. So it's like in that uh, one Batman movie where they have like the tribunal and they're basically trying all like the really rich people and powerful people. And then it's like your choices are death or exile. Which Batman movie? I was going to say, I don't remember this in a Batman movie. Yeah. Oh, Bane. With Bane? Bane yeah. does that. Well, I didn't well Bane that was doesn't people. do it, but um, Bane doesn't do it, but the crazy guy does, the scarecrow, right? Okay, which I know, Batman I know, movie yeah, are we which, talking which about? The one with this? Bane. Okay, but there's I, more than one Batman movie with Bane in it. Because I think I'm thinking of the, it's the, the newer one, one with, with a, Oh, it's, an, it's with um which Batman? Who plays Anne Batman? Hathaway. <laughs> uh, Christian I'm, Bale. I didn't see the Christian Bale one. Yeah, okay, I haven't either. I, the only Batman movies I've seen are the ones like I don't know the ones that are like on the VHS. older ones. Yeah, <laughs> those are pretty good. Everyone knows that you watch the animated DC stuff. I do not. You're wrong. Okay. <laughs> You're. I'm wrong. sure. I'm sure. Uh, both Kelsey and my brother would agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I a lot of the live action Batman's. What kills me about them is they make Batman too edgy. Like, a Batman yeah. is edgy. Don't get me wrong. But he's <laughs> also the kind of guy who adopts a lot of orphans. Right? Like, he he's a big old softie when it comes to certain people. And they never show that. They're just like, my parents are dead and I hate everyone. Or the and whole, my like, girlfriend is dead and all that. Yeah. 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 They make Butler, him super make emo. Me things. Yeah. Especially make- with the voice. Like, the, I'm Batman. Like, the yeah. raspy, like, voice that you'd hear at the bar kind of thing. Yeah, that, um, I, it was funny to me whenever they cast, uh... Oh, what's his name? He's, Robert he's, Pattinson? Yeah. Because uh, he basically played the same character as he does in Twilight, where he's just like <laughs> this poor, tortured, rich man whose life is really hard because he's so rich. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that was poor casting. I don't know who decided to cast him as Batman. I don't know. I mean, I love our Pats. Don't get me wrong. I love our Pats. But I just don't understand why he would be in that movie. Probably for his name, I would I would assume. I think yeah, I think it's the star power aspect of it. Yeah, yeah. That's usually how you get those big roles, anyway. Like Batman, Aquaman, anything like that. Like Like, all the superheroes. Yeah, like they like cast somebody that's well known. I mean, the Aquaman movies are bad, but (laughs) it is Jason Momoa. It's because it's live action DC (laughs) movies. I am going to watch. No, I mean, I like the other Batman movies with Christian Bale. You're wrong. (laughs) (laughs) I'm wrong for liking them? Yes. Okay, that's fair. I'm a scientist. My opinions are facts. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, you heard it here. (laughs) Um, Respect. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, so, again... Their, their their house is getting mobbed by, or yeah, so the house got mobbed, Antoine got sentenced to death, um, and he was executed same day, May 8th, 1794. In that same group of people that were tried at the same time was actually Marianne's father, Jacques Palzet, um, and they were guillotined on the same day um, at the Palace de la Revolution, which is now Palace de la Concorde. And then without ceremony, the victims were buried in anonymous graves in the cemetery at the Mock Monceau. Um, the following day, Joseph Lagrange uh, remarked, it, only required, it required only one moment to sever that head and perhaps a century will not be sufficient to produce another like it. Wow. So. I kind of um, felt like this was, I, the, I felt the buildup was coming to this moment. And I was just like, ah. Uh. Yeah. 
That's a heck of a life, though. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he accomplished a ton. Yeah. A ton. Yeah. Let me double check how old he was when he died. Because he was... Let's see. His wife was in her 30s. So he was probably in his 50s. Yeah. Or he was 50. He died. He was 50 when he died. I mean, I think you can say, like, regardless of whether or not he was actually an altruistic person... He did more good in 50 years than some people do their entire lives. Yeah. Agree. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think he did participate in things that were not ethical. Right. I mean, but like. Not that those things like cancel each other out, but it's still like, it's still good to do good things. Right. Exactly. And I mean, like. Counts for something. Yeah. Like, if you're, like I said, he's not the kind of guy who deserves an episode of like Behind the Bastards. Right. But he, yeah, he had a life that was both good and bad, like most yeah. people do. So, do you think um, he deserves an episode of cool people doing cool stuff or whatever that other podcast is called? Probably not. <laughs> no, <laughs> okay. I don't, I don't think he reached that level because, especially he with who she, cool. co- who she covers, like she covers people that were in the French Revolution, like the actual, oh, okay. like if you, if, yeah, the actual re- revolutionaries, the revolutionaries, like that's who she would think would be the cool people doing cool things. Is this like a podcast, like on Spotify or? Yes. Yeah. Oh, okay. I think yeah. it's I think it's cool people who do cool stuff. Oh yeah. Okay. They keep saying it differently a lot, <laughs> <laughs> and it's specifically <laughs> there's a whole conversation they have when they first start the podcast because it's Robert Evans and um, Margaret Kiljoy. Margaret Kiljoy's the the regular host on the show, and Robert Evans was like, "Cool people who did cool things," and then Margaret Kiljoy's like, "You literally told me to call this podcast cool people who did cool stuff instead of cool things," and then he's like, "Dang it!" <laughs> I just thought that was so funny. So, but yeah, I think it's cool people who do cool stuff. But yeah, yeah, she really likes an anarchist. Is is who Margaret Kiljoy likes. So is is can it be another official stance of this podcast that we highly recommend podcasts on the uh, Cool Zone Media Network? I would love to be on the Cool Zone Media Network. I don't think I'll ever get there, but maybe yeah. you should just straight up email Robert. I tried. Yes. I tried a couple times actually, and I got zero response. I'll, I'll but... hit him up on Twitter. <laughs> if you could get him Twitter to respond on Twitter, yes. that's probably the place. <laughs> he's, um, a, he's a bit of a Twitter head. He is a Twitter head. I'm not a Twitter head. That's probably why I did not. Because I, I bet I would not doubt that email goes into a black hole and he never answers emails. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah, I see that. Or like he's very that- busy driving around in his Toyota Tundra, firing guns and drinking whiskey. <laughs> Doesn't he like live in Seattle right now though, or not Seattle? Is it Portland? He lives in a city. I, I thought. I don't know. I thought he lived like out in the woods by himself. I think he, weird lo- stuff. he wants to live he out wants in to the live woods out by there. himself, but he is Those still like goals. a journalist. So <laughs> yeah. He kind of follows where the journalism stuff was. That's he true. was covering like the. He's covering all the protests and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I know he was in a city. I just can't remember which one. But. But guns. He has. He them. has a lot of guns. That That is true. Um, <laughs> That's my favorite thing about like. People make assumptions because I'm a leftist that they're like, oh, so you hate guns, right? I'm like, no, actually, you go far enough left, you get them back. <laughs> and that's where I'm at right now. Yeah, because that, that's one of the biggest mis- misunderstandings that people have about leftists is like that they're anti-gun. And I'm like, no, liberals are anti-gun. You keep right. going. They're pro-gun again. Yeah. <laughs> There's Isn't there literally like a socialist rifle association? No, but I'm not surprised if there is one. I feel like there is. I, I don't. I, I, like I don't know. I've heard of before. I hope Bernie Sanders is a part of it. I doubt. I doubt <laughs> it. But, I mean, he is kind of uh, in his legislation. He is fairly pro-gun in a mm-hmm. way that's not like 
I mean, he doesn't, his donors aren't gun manufacturers, but because Mm -hmm. his constituents are all in Vermont and they're like big gun people. Yeah. He's also like, okay. But that's like real representation. You don't have to do the thing that you agree with. You have to do what your constituents wants you to do because that's your whole job. It's not about you. I see that. Like, especially now with Bernie Sanders on the pocket. (laughs) Especially now with like, if you're going to run for president or like any position, you have to be in a party or you're most likely not going to get elected for it. Yeah. Right. That kills. Yeah. Two party system, man. Garbage. (laughs) Ranked voting. That's what I think is a good choice. I don't know. Some expert probably is going to come in and be like, no, this is the best way to vote. And I'm like, I don't know. I just picked one that I thought sounded good. I'm not a politician. Ranked voting seemed like a good choice, though. I don't know. It makes sense. Okay. Back to a time where there was no voting and just a lot of, a lot of, uh, Back to the revolution. Back to a revolution. But yeah, so after the execution of her husband and father, Marie Lavoisier was arrested and jailed along with all of the heirs of the dead tax farmers. So if you were set to inherit the money, you got arrested as well. Um, So two months later, she had to write uh, abjectly to her local revolutionary committee to declare that she agreed with the ideals and principles of the revolution um, and the French Republic. So she basically had to say, I'm with y'all to be released please don't kill me yeah and so by the time by this time there was a dictator maximilian raspierre um he had been guillotined so i think if i remember my french history right Robespierre um, was kind of uh, one of the big driving forces for the reign of terror and then they were like okay guys like we've murdered so many people We should stop murdering people. And he's like, let's murder more people. And oh, they, they were like, like not maybe, enough. Just, maybe just one more. <laughs> they, they murdered him. Um, oh. Wow. Yeah. Karma. <laughs> I, I think that's generally how that went. Uh, that's my quick second, summary of the French Revolution. <laughs> second Batman reference. Uh, <laughs> You either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become a villain. Yes, oh, I think that's that, the yes. Robespierre yeah. story. I um, This story is not about Robespierre, and I did not read that much about Robespierre. This story is about <laughs> Marie Lavoisier, but just, uh, that, just an, I, I included him just enough to because that it's relevant to her story. So August of 19, or 1794, she was released from prison. She was destitute because they took all her money. Um, and she had to be supported by a former, a former servant who took pity on her plight. So someone who used to work for her let her live with them. Um, this time period in her life is deemed very, like the trauma of this basically changed her personality from there on out. Um, people say she's like never the same after this kind of stuff. Um, I don't blame her. Yeah, it's a lot. It is a lot. Um, I mean, war. She literally was living through war in her home. She lost her father and her husband on the same day. Yeah. Um, she probably was there to witness it. And guillotining is not a pleasant thing to witness. You know, uh, not that there's like, any yeah. real way to murder someone that is uh, a pleasant way to watch. But I just feel like the guillotine is like a particularly bad one um this is the end of the terroristic phase of the revolution so from here on she she they do eventually give her um the the inheritance that she is owed and she once again like continues to like entertain parisian society so she starts having people over again after things are calming down 
She was very bitter about what happened to her husband during the revolution. And because she was like thrown into bankruptcy following the government's confiscation of her money and property, um, the government also took Lavoisier's notebooks and laboratory equipment. So like all of his work was confiscated as well. Mm. Um, But uh, despite the obstacles, Marie Anne actually organized the publication of Lavoisier's memoir. So she ended up getting most of it back. I don't know if she got all of it back, but she got most of it back. And she wrote his memoirs, which was... Um, called Memory Memoirs of a Chemist, um, which was a compilation of like his papers, those of his colleagues demonstrating the principles of of new chemistry that Lavoisier um, you know was foundational in. The first volume contained the work of heat and the formation of liquids. The second one dealt with the ideas of combustion, air, calcination of metals, um, the action of acids, the composition composition of water. So, like she she published all of this into a memoir after Antoine's death. So wow. and in the original copy, Marie Anne actually wrote a preface that attacked revolutionaries and the Wasier's contemporaries, whom she believed was responsible for his death. Like she wrote like a whole scathing thing about how he shouldn't be dead, basically. And y'all killed him. Um, that didn't make it into the publication, like the final publication, but she did write it. And like this publication is really what solidified Antoine Lavoisier's um, legacy in the field of chemistry. Because, I mean, a lot, there was a lot of people doing similar work around him, right? And yeah. the fact that he died, like, you know, if there's no one that continues to talk about you and you die, like you, you're, you're not going to be guaranteed to get the credit you deserve. Yeah. And so I feel like she really like, solidified him as the father of modern chemistry by writing this memoir yeah like in some would, ways like he would, i mean like, he not had to a... exist and like unless she like continued to tell like or mm-hmm. like to do these memoirs for him exactly and like i mean he i don't think he would have been like erased from history but would he have been as prep uh pronounced and like would people have thought of him in the same way if she had not continued like if she did not publish the memoir so Somebody else would probably probably have taken the credit of mm-hmm. it of a lot of the things if she had not done that. Exactly, because like a lot of people were working on very similar things at the same time. So you know, because uh, there's like I said, you know, Joseph Priestley and Cavendish, like they were working on similar things. You know, like who who exactly discovered uh, oxygen is still a debate. Like who did it first is still a debate because everyone was working on it at the same time. Officially, I think Priestley gets the gets the credit. Because I think they were, like, he published it first. You know, he was the first one to do stuff. But, you know, like, mm. everyone was working on it together, like, at the same time. Not together, but at the same time. It kind of reminds me of uh, somebody, I don't know where I've heard this, but it was, they're like, if you're thinking it, then somebody else on the other side of the world is thinking it, too. Mm-hmm. So, like, like with ideas or, like, theories and stuff like that, like, more than likely somebody else is also thinking that same theory or idea. It's just who is going to come out with it first who is going to yes. reach it's uh it's that parallel thought thing oh and it happens it happens a lot actually in comedy like people will say like oh this joke and sometimes people do still jokes but more often than not it's just like parallel thought two people had similar ideas mhm yeah cuz like two people independently yeah. came up with calculus at the same time yeah like the fact that you can do that like yeah. and the you know coming up with a joke at the same time you might come up with yeah very similar fart jokes i don't know <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So after her husband died, we're going to get into um, the rest of this is mostly just gossipy things and fun things that she did. So because, yeah, after her husband died, um, she ended up having uh, an intense 
love affair with an old family friend who was 20 years her senior, Pierre Samuel Dupont. The Dupont. You know, you know what Dupont is, right? Who's the Dupont? Sorry. Dupont is a chemical company. Like there is still a chemical company named Dupont. Okay. And he is the Dupont that founded Dupont Chemical Company. Okay. Okay. <laughs> But yeah, they, so Marie-Anne Lavoisier and Pierre Samuel Dupont had like a, a, a very big love affair, like very dramatic love affair, apparently. So it sounds like it was like an affair actually before, like it started before husband's trial and execution. So like, I don't know when exactly it started. Mm. It sounds like she kind of always had affairs going on while they were married, but um also, it's France, and I feel like France had, like, that culture of, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, but, like, a lot of, had a lot of culture of, like, having multiple lovers, even if you were married. Like, you know, because that was, like, part of the problem that people had with the aristocracy was stuff, you know, because, um, who's the queen that I'm thinking of? Antoinette? Yeah, Marie Antoinette. Uh, people didn't like her because they said she had lovers and stuff, which... So they were slut shaming the queen. Yes. A lot of slut shaming happening in this time period. Yeah. So like there were some people who were like, no, you shouldn't have multiple lovers. And there were other people like, it's fun. I don't know. Okay, but why not? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's one of those like, if it was a man, they would label it like a, he was a player, you know? <laughs> yeah, it would be accepted because, oh, he's the king. Obviously, he's going to have more than one lover. Exactly. Yeah. And so I think that's kind of, that was more of the attitude it was like men, it was okay, but like. There were a lot of women who were doing it then, too. And then people were like, no, wait, that one's not allowed. They're, gate- uh, they're gatekeeping being a slut. And I don't appreciate that at all. <laughs> <laughs> but so, you know, uh, apparently they had like really strong personalities that were like not compatible. So I don't know what that was about and why they actually did like each other. But they did like each other. But they couldn't like maintain a stable relationship like they like <laughs> apparently like you know what i mean it sounds like a very like hot and cold thing going on okay um <laughs> I, was, I was thinking it was like a like you, there's always that anime couple where there's like that hot head and then there's like that like really like like sweet character personality one that are together no i think they were both hot heads this oh, okay. is what it sounded like they sounded like they were both like just very you know what i mean very opinionated very so it would be like a uh, vegeta and bulma like from dragon ball z how they're both like basically like I'm sorry, I haven't seen that anime. Okay. <laughs> I have watched animes, just not that one. <laughs> okay. Also not familiar. I can't I can't help you with that one. I also don't know. Well basically well, I'm familiar with Dragon Ball Z, but I don't know the relationships. Uh Vegeta is like the one that he's like uh the king or the the prince. Right, he's got the- those long things on his head yeah he's like he's yeah. like pretty spiked head he has like that big like v-neck or v-neck sorry uh like widow's uh, peak widow's peak yeah, yeah he's yeah. got that widow's peak going on and then bulma is the scientist mm-hmm. um and then she inherits uh the uh, the corporation and all that well they both end up together but they're both very like like they fight a lot they mm-hmm. say what they think they're very opinionated but they're like a couple together in the series so Gotcha. That, well, that's what it reminded me at of. At least DuPont and Lavoisier do not end up together. Um, uh, uh, DuPont ends up moving to the to the United States where he found, finds founds du, DuPont Chemical Company. Um, but before he left, he wrote her a letter. He didn't send the letter, but he wrote a letter. And it said, my dear lady, your name will always be linked with mine. Like, he, like, really liked her. Like, really loved her. It was actually, it's, he was down bad. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, <laughs> so you would say that he simped for her? Unof- <laughs> unofficially, yes. Can yes. I say unofficially? Yes. Okay. Yes. That's my that's my opinion. <laughs> I don't know if I can I can officially say. You can say it like as a fact, but <laughs> signs point to yeah. In October of 1805, uh, Marie Lavoisier does actually remarry um, a man named Count Rumford. I so it said his title was Bavarian, but he was from Massachusetts. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what that means. I, <laughs> so that's who she married. Um, he is also um, served as a colonel in the British Army during the Revolutionary War. So like he was born in Massachusetts, but he's British, but he has a Bavarian title. I don't know. Huh. I don't know. It was weird. I didn't really read up on him much because um, they they so they got married. Um, he was a scientist. He did science things. But yeah, when they met, Rumford really liked her, saying that she was a very amiable lady who is very sociable and who lives in an elegant style and is hostess to a great to the greatest philosophers and most eminent scientists and writers in Paris. And above all, she is kindness itself, which is very cute. It soon became obvious to, like, all Paris that this union of two very highly intelligent and strong-willed individuals, both of whom were middle-aged and set in their ways, was very much a mismatch. So Lavoisier, um, she liked to have friends over all the time. Their house was surrounded by an English garden in one of the most elegant districts of Paris. That's where she wanted to be. Rumford, on the other hand, desired peace and quiet. He liked his laboratory and his rose garden, and he wanted to be by himself. And I'm like, why would you marry this very social lady if you wanted peace and quiet? (laughs) But, I mean, I'm sure it sounds like she just is very charming, like a very charming lady, you know? And so he was just smitten with her, but I'm like... I mean, I feel like those kinds of things make sense, because, like, if... I mean, despite the fact that I do comedy, I am an actually very introverted person and I prefer to be home most of the time. Mm-hmm. And Kelsey likes Same. to be out and like she likes to invite people over and be very social. And I'm just like, I don't want people in my house. <laughs> <laughs> Touching my things, sitting on my furniture. <laughs> Why are they standing on your furniture? <laughs> because they're rude. I don't know. <laughs> I feel like, I mean, I'm just, I just say that to be You're like, I like think those opposite, relationships make sense. Yeah. Opposites yeah, attract yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I kind of feel that in the sense that like, um, so like Seth likes really like the aspects of the city and everything, like having mm-hmm. the subway system and transportation. But I also like, I, I want to be near a city, but I like our current house that we're renting that it's like on the edge of the city. So there's mm-hmm. a little bit of like, we're surrounded by fields and yeah kind of able to get away and i like the whole like going home just kind of working on crafts or watching like tv and he's like we should go out and i'm like but but i'm comfortable and the dogs are out and i'm spending time with the dogs (laughs) yeah i find myself changing as i get older like i used to be very much uh i want to be out doing things but now i'm now i'm like i'm i'm cool to hang at home i'm i'm cool with chilling like i'm cool at chilling at other people's houses too i think really what it is i don't like to go out 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 you know, like, to a bar or anything. Like, I'd rather sit in my own house or in my friend's house. I feel that. And play yeah. a board game. <laughs> <laughs> so, I still like to socialize. I just don't want to do it out. <laughs> yeah, I feel like going to bars and all that, like, you're kind of expected to go and be like, oh, I made a new friend or whatever. Like, you mm-hmm. know, kind of socialize with people you don't know where 
I like going out with people I feel comfortable with. Yeah, absolutely. It, even going to the bars now, I'm like, I need somebody that I feel comfortable with. Like, I really mm -hmm. don't want to talk or, like, make friends with new people. Yeah, that's hashtag no new friends. <laughs> <laughs> I have enough friends, thank you. Don't you want more? No, I don't. I really don't. Do you have any birthdays I have to remember? Do you know how many I remember? Three of them. Maybe. I just I just commit to not remember the birthday. People yeah. will tell you when their birthday is. Like, I'm yeah. just gonna forget. I don't know. <laughs> I'm sorry. Thank you for telling me, though. You'd be like, wow, I'm turning, like, this number in, like, a week. Wink, wink. And they're like, okay. Exactly. <laughs> that, everyone does that. Or at least uh, every adult I know does that. And I'm like, good. <laughs> Honestly, kids do it, too. They're like, in a week, I'm gonna be four. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Their sense of time is off, though, so they'll be like, I'm turning four soon. <laughs> I don't know when. Don't but know. it's My gonna mom happen. Told me. <laughs> it's gonna happen. <laughs> but yeah, so they argued apparently all the fucking time, even in public. Like, I don't know. I don't know. If it, I don't know how bad it was, but apparently, like, they were kind of known for fighting. <laughs> uh, and so he eventually, like, forbade her from having, um, so he forbade the porter, who's like a, he's like a butt, you know, the porter to let the let his wife's friends into the house. It's <laughs> like no, you can't have you any friends over. Pass. Um, and so she basically had to go to the mansion gate and like talk to them through the gate. Like, oh my god! I'm like, are you saying that you wouldn't let her out? Eat? Like, did, why didn't she just go somewhere? Right, like go to a coffee shop or something. Yeah, and so. She got her revenge by, um, she got her revenge on this by pouring boiling hot water over his exquisite rose bushes. He murdered, <laughs> she murdered his rose bushes. He said, you take away the thing I love, I take away what you love. Yeah. I can't see my friends while well, your friends are dead. <laughs> I kind of like it. Honestly, I'm, I'm, I stand. I, I, everything you tell me about this lady, I'm like, yes, yes, a queen, an idol. She's honestly, she is a gay icon. I don't know if she knows that. <laughs> well, she's not gay, so. Right. No, I mean, like, she's an icon for gay people. Fair enough. I'm just saying. The she way, probably like, doesn't yeah. know it because she's not gay. <laughs> right. The way, like, Mariah Carey is a gay icon. Mariah Carey's a gay icon? Yeah. She's not gay. But she is a gay icon. Gay people love her. Is that what makes you a gay icon now? You used to yeah. have to be gay to have be a gay icon. No, because there's a lot of, there's a lot of, uh, straight, especially straight women that are gay icons. As long as there's no straight men that are gay icon. No, absolutely not. Okay, no. I can stand by that then. I'll be okay with that. <laughs> as long as straight men are not involved, they are not. <laughs> That's all that matters. I mean, there, there are a lot of straight women that are gay icons. Like, I don't know, Madonna, right? Gay icon. I don't consider people gay, icon. gay icons. But I feel like they're very, like, they're very camp, though. No? Okay. Okay. If anybody get okay, a question is Dolly Parton a gay icon? Yes. Okay. Okay. Then then Official Madonna can be a gay icon. Okay. <laughs> because if any if any performer I've ever seen does camp and drag as a straight woman, it's oh, Dolly yes. Parton. Hundred percent. And so that's why I'm like, as long as 100%. Dolly Parton is included yes. in this group, I'm she okay is. with including anyone else. Okay. Fair. Love Dolly. I love Dolly too. Yeah. She needs to. Never mind. No more tangents. No more tangents. Dolly can okay. run for president. It's actually like eight thirty. This is it's the recording is an hour and a fifty minutes long. Oh my god. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'll cut. I'll cut like twenty minutes of it at least. Okay. So 
she murders his rose bushes after four years. <laughs> so after four years of um, not wedded bliss, the marriage ended in 1809. They separate, uh, and Rumford got a nice, handsome financial settlement because um, Lavoisier was the one who was rich, right? So he he gets like you know a, a what do they call it alimony an alimony check for um, three hundred or four hundred thousand francs. Or it says between 300,000 francs and 400,000 francs. I don't know what that means. But he gets some money. And for the next 27 years, Madame de Rumford, as she continued to be known, devoted herself entirely to entertaining her friends in grand style. In the words of historian Francois Gazoit, that's probably not how you say it, she chose to entertain her distinguished guests, scientists, artists, and high society with a rather singular mixture of rudeness and courtesy. Most of her visitors were flattered to receive the invitation and usually ignored the fact that her language could be brusque and sh- her, she was subject to authoritarian whims. Which I'm like, what does that mean? Yeah. What did this woman do to these guests? For a number of years before she was... for, or Sorry, for a number of years before he returned to America, one of her most favorite par- party guests was her old lover, Pierre Samuel Dupont. So he was just hanging out oh, after yeah. she got married again, I guess. Um, it's like, hey, I'm still here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so, you know, um, as a lot of Lavoisier's friends began to die because she was getting older, um, she lived more and more alone, and she became even more and more eccentric and a nature often commented on by, like, the younger generations of, like, writers uh, and intellectuals. So the Delahante brothers... Um, were uh, also, like, descended from these uh, tax farmers, you know, so, like, Lavoisier's parent, you know, dad was a tax farmer. So these are, like, you know, the grain kids of tax farmers now. Uh, they went to her home, and this is what they wrote of their their time at her house. This old Turk who was one, who was all that remained of the beautiful young woman depicted by David. It was Madame de Rumford, with her aged, masculine face, coiffed and rigged out in the most bizarre way. She greeted us in her abrupt manner, which was not unkind, uh, asked us to sit down, and began asking us questions about our studies and pastimes. After a few minutes, she would suddenly get up from the love seat and go stand with her back to the fireplace, pull up her skirts from as high as her garters, and leisurely warm her enormous calves. <laughs> as often, she gave elegant balls that we enjoyed more than the visits, in spite of her active surveillance and the severity of which she uh, chased us away from the buffet to have us dance the quadrille. <laughs> Why do I love that shit? Like, the, 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 the part about the enormous calves, I don't know why it sticks out to me. I'm like, damn. Right? Like, <laughs> well, she bodybuilding too. <laughs> right? Like, why does she have enormous calves? Why was that enough? Why, how big were they? <laughs> Did they commented on that? <laughs> and also, like, okay, so you got these, like, young men. You, like, like, she's, you know, like a 67-year-old woman at this point inviting these young men who are like intellect you know intellect she's that got scientists over all the time right this is like you know she's inviting the grad students over to her house is how i imagine this <laughs> okay. right so and then she just like backs her butt up and is warming her butt over a fireplace <laughs> like <But> i'm cold <laughs> i just think that's so funny <laughs> she did what she wanted and i love it but yeah so 
Marie did die very suddenly in her home in Paris on uh, February 10th of 1836. She lived to the age of 78. Wow. And she is buried in the cemetery of um, Pierre Leche in, Fran- in Paris, France. I love her story. Like every <laughs> part of it. Yeah. An iconic. <laughs> truly. Yeah, uh, I when I started writing this, I was like, you know, thinking it was going to be... I, I don't know what I was thinking, but I didn't think it would involve, like, the... I, I didn't piece two and two together that she lived during the French Revolution. I didn't know she was going to be friends with Benjamin Franklin. <laughs> I just need, like, a Netflix series or something. Like, somebody, right? like, make this and put it on film. Like, oh my gosh. <laughs> okay, so if you have to cast her. Ah! Oh. Okay, oh. what age? You have to do a separate, uh, like, so, like, uh, when she's first married, obviously, she's, like, 13, right? Mm-hmm. You So you have to have, like, four different age groups. You have to have somebody that can play her as, like, a 13-year-old, mm-hmm. someone that can play her, um, like, in her late teens, early 20s, mm-hmm. uh, somebody that can play her, which, honestly, that person you might can stretch late teens, early 20s into, like, when she's 30. Yeah. Whenever her husband dies. And then yeah. you have to have someone separate for, like, when she's older. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm thinking late teens and cast. 20s and 30s. Mm-hmm. We can probably get away with uh, Emma Watson. Okay. Yes. Yeah. I think Very that. Nice. Mm-hmm. Younger her. I don't know. Maybe that little girl who plays 11. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. yeah. Maybe her. I don't know. I don't know a lot of, like, child actors. Yeah, same here. That's but, probably a good thing. Yeah. Uh, I would say her, maybe. And then for older, the first one that pops into my head is the lady who played McGonagall. Oh, yeah. Okay. But I feel like her and Emma Watson don't look anything alike. So, like, it, that would be hard. For on looks, it wouldn't it wouldn't work. But I feel like personality-wise, she could do it. Yeah. And, I mean, there are things I can do to make them look similar. Yeah. That's fair. That's fair. Um, I've done that with, like, CGI on some actors. Yeah. And then, like, a makeup artist and things mm-hmm. like that. I mean, they also could just CGI Emma Watson. Yeah, that's true. I, I mean, don't, I don't like that plan though. No. I don't know why. <laughs> I like it when they change the actor because, like, it's like um, in um, the Crown. If you watch the Crown, yeah, they 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 change the actors every for yeah. every like few decades or a decade or so. You yeah, know? none of the actors yeah. look particularly similar. Yeah, but they have the vibe, and I think yeah. that's nice. Yeah, you know, so I, I like it when they change as actors. long as they look similar to the character. Right, like, right. Not, like, yeah. I mean, it's a real human being, but yeah, they have to give the same vibe as the human yeah. being. That's how I it's feel all about, about yeah. the vibes. It's all about the vibes. Yeah, because there's a lot of people critiquing the guy who plays. Um, well, he's king, you know King Charles, uh, Charles now, mm-hmm. but when he's Prince Charles, um, the guy they got to play him, they said he's too handsome to play King Charles. <laughs> that is pretty funny. <laughs> I was like, Sam, <laughs> <laughs> he's a rough looking dude. Yeah, yeah. I just thought it was. Kind of funny. I was like, "Oh damn!" <laughs> You're just gonna say the quiet part out loud. Like you couldn't just you say he didn't look didn't like him, nothing that. like that. You were like, "Nah, that guy's too handsome to play that ugly guy." <laughs> oh my gosh. So yeah, we love her. We stand. Yeah, yes. I'm a stand. Stand. Yes. yes, agree. And again, official stance of the podcast. If you keep calling her an assistant, I'm gonna be mad. <laughs> Not Big gonna mad. do anything about it, but I'm gonna be mad. <laughs> I will be upset. All right, um, I'm going to stop now because we had like two hours of recording. You put the, put the exit music here. <laughs> <Okay>. Goodbye. <laughs> Apoptosis going mad, my liver's going to fail. 
Maybe it's from the radium I use to paint my nails. Well, say you hate me, carbon date me, throw me in the sea. I'll be back with time because I'm made of stardust and chemistry. Of stardust and chemistry. Mm-hmm.